0: Hey everyone. This is M Black Writes, a podcast for people who love stories, and I'm your host, M Black. I'm just coming out of my first full week of teaching for the 2021-2022 school year. I know a lot of you have kids who have just started school or you yourself have just started taking college classes or are about to. I actually have a class myself that is going to be starting in a few days which I'm kind of dreading, I gotta be honest. (laughs) So how are we all feeling? Are we doing good? I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Overall, great. I'm so happy to be back in the classroom and I'm in love with my class already. They are such a cute bunch of kids. I'm a little more stressed, and I've entered my annual back-to-school insomnia phase, (laughs) but I've always been someone who needs a lot on my plate to function properly. I don't do well without a set schedule and like certain responsibilities that I absolutely have to do. Don't get me wrong. I love summer. I cherish summer. My first story on this episode is actually all about that, but... It's also kind of this strange, weird limbo place where I want to be doing all of these fun things, or I feel like I need to be accomplishing all of these tasks, but I'm just kind of floating around unable to find my purpose. So I'm happy to be back in the school year. (laughs) This month's episode is all about the brain. I'm someone who is very intrigued by the brain and how it functions, so this episode was a fun one for me. There are only two stories this month because the second story on the episode called Brain Convention is a long one. Let's get into the Table of Contents. Table of Contents Story number one, Summer Scaries Story number two, Brain Convention Mental Health Thoughts with your host, M. Black. Interview with Jenny Mouse, children's book author of the book Brian the Brain Headspace. I want to talk a bit about a phenomenon that happens to people on Sundays. And it's called Sunday Scaries. I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard of this and probably experienced it. But for those of you who haven't, here's the definition straight from Google. The term Sunday Scaries, although not scientific, describes a common feeling of anxiety that builds up over the course of Sunday afternoon and evening. So my husband experiences this every week. I do sometimes Um If I know I have a particularly stressful week ahead or something going on that's just overwhelming me, then I'll experience this too. But people on Sunday afternoons and evenings just start to feel all this anxiety of the weekend being over and having to go back to work or whatever their normal weekly routine is, they get something called the Sunday scaries. And with the summer ending and school starting, me going back to school, um, my son starting preschool, I just was thinking a lot about how I'm experiencing something that I like to call the summer scaries, which is, you know, anxiety or remorse over the summer ending. Um, And so and I, was, I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking, I want to write about this. Like, I just want to sit down. I want to write about it. I want to get it all out. And so the day before school started, I sat down and I wrote this story, Summer Scaries. Summer Scaries. A letter to my little boy, written by M. Black. Some people experience something every week called Sunday scaries. Thousands of people around the world find themselves drifting into the abyss of impending doom of the week ahead of them every Sunday afternoon. Your dad is one of them, and sometimes me too when life feels overwhelming. Right now, though, I'm going through something similar, yet not the same. Let's call it summer scaries. I found myself at the close of my fourth summer with you. You've just turned three. For me, school starts tomorrow. You start preschool in five days. The two of us have just got home from my classroom. I was putting the finishing touches on everything while you were entertained by all of my classroom toys. You and the dog are napping. I'm writing this from the bath. The house is dark and cool, quiet too, except for the constant patter of rain on the roof. It's funny that it would rain today, on this, the last day of summer. Maybe the world is feeling as emotional as I am about the ending of this season. I don't know how to feel, really. The thought of meeting a class full of sweet little spirits tomorrow feels exciting and refreshing. I've missed being in the classroom where I feel like I'm in my element. Being a stay-at-home mom doesn't come naturally to me the way that teaching does. I get lost in the non-structure of it all. It has never made sense to me that I am cool, calm, and collected when I am tasked to care for 20-plus little bodies Yet just one little boy of my own leaves me often feeling like I am flying blind. You're a summer baby. June. I'm not even sure that your dad and I made it onto the plane that first summer. We weren't even flying blind then. We were just falling with the hope that eventually the plane would materialize. I think we finally got into somewhat of a groove around this time of year. I had a different kind of summer scaries then. I missed the first day of school. And then two more months after that. I wasn't aching for more time with you that summer because maternity leave granted that wish. My summer scaries that year involved longing to meet the students who started school without me. The next year, when you turned one, I was fully immersed in the summer scaries by the time August rolled around. That summer may go down in history as the sweetest summer I have ever had. You learned to walk just before your birthday and soon after, you found your voice. I don't think you've stopped talking since, and your vocabulary has always amazed me. You are like a little sponge, soaking up all the words you have ever heard. That summer was full of slobbery kisses, sink baths, and sunshine. If I could time travel, that's where I would go. My eyes are misting as I type this, because I know it was a one-time thing I will never get back. I went into the next summer, stuffed with anticipation of all the delightful goodness we shared the summer before. You turned two, and things were different. You found a different voice, one that was full of opinions and didn't want to be told what to do. Suddenly, my baby was gone and I was butting heads with a strong-willed toddler. That didn't stop me from dragging you on all sorts of adventures, though. You hated the pool, so we had to find other ways to fill up our days. We went to museums, on hikes, libraries, parks, any mildly entertaining location within a short distance we hit. This summer, and now, you are stuck somewhere between a toddler and a kid, and both of us have had to figure out the best way to cope with that. You're frustrated by me, a lot. Boundaries are confusing for you. You hit, scream, pinch, and throw things. So many tears have been shed by the both of us. You're probably thinking, why are you sad the summer is ending if you thought it was so hard? Maybe someday, if you grow up and have your own kid, you'll understand. Having a child means constantly towing the line between being utterly exhausted and immensely filled with love. If I were to make a movie montage of all the beautiful parts of this summer, it would look something like this. You climbing into bed with me in the hazy light of morning and saying, Mama, I love you. Your dad sprawled out under some truck he is fixing up, with you crouched beside him asking him question after question. You covered head to toe in dirt riding your Strider bike around our camp trailer with a friend or a cousin in tow. Floating on those fake logs at the pool that you love so much, rescuing ladybugs out of the water with banana pancakes by Jack Johnson blasting out of the rec center speakers. You saying, we are having family cuddles on a lazy Sunday while we all huddle on the couch, you between me and your dad and our golden retriever peach sitting on my toes sitting on the porch in the evenings, your dad and I laughing at something funny you've just said. I've done this enough times now to know that by next summer, you will be completely different. You will have changed in so many ways, and that's good. But for now, I'm wrapped up in mourning the loss of my one and only three-year-old summer with you. I thought I could make it through that without, (laughs) like, getting teared up. But you can probably hear from my voice as I'm reading that that I was, like, (laughs) holding back tears. And if you're a parent, I think you'll get it. There's just something about the summer and something about your kid getting older every year and something about your kid... For those of you who have older kids going back to school, my kid is going preschool to preschool for the first time, but there's just something about it that makes you emotional. let me tell you how this next story came to be. I had my listeners who follow me on Instagram submit silly or funny things that they do based off of how their brain functions. When they're angry, when they're feeling anxious, when they're feeling depressed, any emotion. Um, And I got a lot of great responses, but I didn't feel like any one of them was substantial enough to write a whole story around. So then I came up with this idea where I took a bunch of the responses and I wrote a story about how brains were attending a convention and they come to this conference every year to learn how to be a better brain and they work through some of their problems. That's how this story came to be. Brain Convention, a story based on the human experience, written by M. Black. Hello, and welcome to the 575th Annual Convention of the Brains. I am Dr. Loeb. President of MindWorks International, the creators of Convention of the Brains. We've got a wonderful schedule of events lined out for you. If you open up your swag bag, you will find a laminated itinerary for the entire conference. I won't keep you too long here because we are hitting the ground running with some breakout sessions today where you will really get down to the nitty gritty of what it means to be a brain in smaller, more concentrated groups. I hope you are all enjoying your stay here at Cranium Inn and Suites Conference Center, the premier business hotel in the intangible mind space. We are grateful to them for hosting this fabulous event each year. If you haven't done so yet, remember to silence your humans by setting them to dream mode. Now, we've only got eight unconscious hours to work with in the first day of this conference, so let's get to it. If you would now, please check the color of your wristbands to see which breakout group you are in. If you look on the screen now, you will see a room listed by each color. Once you've found the location of your breakout session, you may head on out. The shuffling sound of chairs, papers, and feet filled the room. It only took about five minutes before it was emptied, leaving Dr. Loeb alone in the bright lights of the stage and one other person hovering near one of the exits. You'll do fine, Parieta. Now get in there. Your group is waiting. Parieta Loeb, Dr. Loeb's daughter, had never been in charge of her own breakout session. This was a big promotion for her. She slipped into the room to find thirty-odd people sitting in the chairs which she had carefully arranged in a circle. The volume of their chit-chat overwhelmed her. Uh... Hello, everyone, she said loudly, with a feeble wave of her hand. The voices slowly disintegrated. All eyes were on her. She giggled uncomfortably and sat down in an empty seat. My name is Parieta Loeb, I will be leading this breakout session today. This group will be together for most of the conference, so I thought we could start out with a bit of an icebreaker." A few quiet groans were emitted from somewhere around the circle. I know, I know, I hate this sort of thing too, but I think you might actually enjoy this one. She knew they weren't convinced. We are going to go around the circle, and what I want you to do is state your name and the best thing you have ever come up with to mess with your human." The group looked around at one another, unsure. Oh, come on. You know we all do it. I'll start. Okay. So, whenever my human is feeling really nervous or overwhelmed or anxious, I make her believe that tapping her fingers together will somehow solve all her problems and calm her down. So it's like really funny because all this crap is happening in her life and she's just there like legit twiddling her thumbs like a maniac. And the best part is that I also made her believe that it's even better to do if her fingers are really dirty. This receives a few quiet chuckles. Well, alright then. Why don't you give it a go? Yeah, you. Right here, to my left. The man next to her cleared his throat. throat) Uh, yeah, okay, so, my name is Neuro, and the best thing I ever did to mess with my human, (sighs) let me think, well, here's one. Whenever he's really sad or depressed, I give him this huge urge to plan a vacation, which he does even though he doesn't have any money to go, and he also can't take any time off of work. So then it just makes him more depressed. Ha, I totally do that too, a woman from across the circle piped up. Nuro and the woman laughed together. Parieta smiled. This was going well. My turn, then. The woman next to Nero asked, not giving enough time for anyone to answer before enthusiastically continuing. My name is Sarah, Sarah Bellum. Something that I love to do is make my human feel uncontrollable anger. She slams doors, throws things. One time I got her so worked up, she kicked a hole through one of the doors in her house. Chuckles cascaded around the circle. Is she a mom? A woman across the circle asked. Yes, Sarah answered. Being a mom brain is the best, the woman continued. I mean, the pregnancy, the lack of sleep, the constant stress, they all kind of trash you. I'm not as efficient as I used to be. My files are an absolute wreck. I feel like I can't ever find anything, but moms are the easiest to mess with because everything is so whack. She's totally right. My human is a mom, and one time I got her to take a hammer to the family TV. This receives nods, claps, and one loud whistle, which encouraged the woman who had spoken. There was glass everywhere. Parieta sat back and folded her arms while a smirk spread over her mouth. Thalamus, one of her father's employees, had been goading her about becoming a group facilitator. She knew his game, though. If he could break her spirit, make her disinterested in the family business, he was next in line to take over. She wasn't about to let that happen. This would be a session these brains would never forget. I make my human stress out so much about her baby dying while he sleeps that she goes into his room to check if he's still breathing all night long, another woman offered excitedly before melting into uncertainty as she was met with silence and grimaced faces. Not cool. Neuro mutters, oh, what do you know? You're a dude, she defended herself. It's a thing, right? All mom brains do this? The woman scanned the circle for solidarity, but the other mom brains found other places to look. The woman shrugged and sunk back into her chair. Okay, Parieta takes control again. Seems like we've got a bit off track, although I have to say, I am loving the raw honesty, so keep that coming. I believe we are here, she said, pointing to a man wearing a white polo shirt. My name is Broca. Hi. Um, so this is a dad brain thing since we're on a parenting streak. Every time my guy is about to leave the house with his family to go somewhere, I float some electrical impulses down to his bowels. A few of the men in the circle snicker and nod knowingly. Broca smiles, then continues. Sometimes, I like to mix it up though. Instead of bathroom break, I'll just be like, You're hungry! And he will do something like start frying an egg five minutes before they're supposed to get in the car. (laughs) chuckles. Oh man, his family is always so annoyed. Hey everyone, I'm Suri Brum, said the woman next to Broca. I've got a pretty good one. So my girl, Linda, such a cutie, love her. But one time in 1997, she slept at her grandma's house and a spider crawled across her. Spiders aren't really a thing for me, it's not a real phobia, but for a bit of fun I convinced her that if she sleeps over at grandma's, she has to build a wall of pillows around herself to protect her body. I am proud to say that this is my longest running joke because Miss Linda is 26 years old and still does this when she visits her grandmother. Suri imitated a mic drop. The circle burst into laughter which was cut short when a deep, irritated voice carved through it. Parieta, I'd like to speak with you in the hall. Dr. Loeb stood near the doorway. His appearance surprised everyone in the room. I'll be right back, Parieta assured the group. This isn't what we do here. What? Let loose? You haven't seen the hot tub after hours, then. I gave you this opportunity because I believed you could handle it. I am handling it. Thalamus and his group are deep into the content right now. They're already making connections. And what do you think I'm doing, Dad? That's exactly what you saw in there. Connections. We don't encourage that type of behavior, Parieta. This convention is about uplifting human lives, not toying with them. Like you've never. I'm being real, Dad. They are being real. After this, they'll be so comfortable with each other that they will be ready to talk about anything. Dr. Loeb exhaled slowly. Five more minutes of this garbage, then you move on to what is on the schedule. Marietta grinned. Thanks, Dad. Day two. I heard about your massive bungle yesterday. Parieta didn't turn around to meet Thalamus and his sneering face. She straightened her shoulders and continued striding through the lobby of the hotel. Thalamus, unwilling to relent, jogged a few paces to catch up. I know you heard me. What was that? Parieta sarcastically asked, making a cup around her right ear with her hand. You have a massive bunghole? What? No. Maybe you should get that checked out. Parieta ducked into the conference room, letting the door shut in Thalamus' frustrated face, grinning widely. Parieta, darling. Her mother stood at the end of the aisle of chairs. She quickened her pace to meet her faster. Hey, Mom, she said as she initiated a hug. How's it going? How's working with your father? Her mother asked, pulling away from the embrace with raised eyebrows. Parieta sighed. He doesn't like my methods. Ah, well, we have that in common then, she said with a wink. Parieta found a seat next to her mother and settled in. Throngs of other brains were doing the same. It was about time to start. Welcome to day two of the convention of the brains. Today, a special guest will be visiting each group during our breakout session. Please join me on the stage, dear. Dr. Loeb fanned his right arm towards himself, motioning for his wife to join him. She obliged, striding onto the stage gracefully. Parieta was not like her mother in that way. There was no grace about her. This is my lovely wife, Occipita Loeb. While I am more clinical, my better half takes a more holistic approach. You'll see what I mean when she works with you. Anything you'd like to add, dear? Occipita laughed, leaning into her husband, wrapping an arm around the small of his back and resting a hand on his chest. <laughs> I think what Dr. Frontal Lobe is trying to say is that he's stuffy and I'm more fun. The crowd enjoyed the light-hearted jab. I can't deny that. Dr. Loeb offered with a smile. Now, if you'll all direct your attention to the screen once more, you will find that your groups have been moved to different locations. We're going to be outside today. Enjoy. Parida waved to her mother before heading to the courtyard where her group was assigned to meet. No chairs today, so the group members milled about the beautifully landscaped rectangle. All right, everyone she called across the courtyard, grabbing the attention of even those lingering near the back. If you would, please, form into groups of four and find a place on the grass to sit. She gestured towards the back of the courtyard where there was a small patch of grass. Everyone slowly made their way in that direction, finding a group to join along the way until seven clusters were nestled on the grass. Today, we're going to get to know our humans a bit better. I know we all put ourselves in their heads, but now we are going to try to put ourselves in their shoes. She smiled out at the crowd. She had hoped for a better response to this quip. When she didn't find one, she exhaled and continued. (sighs) As we all know, humans are stimulated by sensory experiences. Touch, taste, sight, smell, sound. Sometimes they can be overstimulated by these things. Think about your human. Which of the five senses is the most negatively overwhelming to them? Once you've got it, discuss it with your group. Parieta made the rounds, listening in to each group. Nero described in a booming voice the way in which his human loathes the smell of anything purchased at Bath and Body Works. Linda... Surrey's human, just can't even with scratchy-feeling sweaters. Now that you've all had a chance to share, Parieta said when the discussions dwindled, we are going to separate into different groups now. If your human is most overstimulated by sound, please meet by the fountain. Taste, meet by the table in the southwest corner of the courtyard. Touch, you will be meeting just in front of the door which leads back into the hotel smell, I think it's only fitting that you meet by the garbage can. And Sight, you will stay here on the lawn." As the members of the group dispersed to their designated areas, Occipita sauntered towards Parieta. "'So, what will you be having me do?' she asked her daughter. "'Well, I thought you would be best put to use by leading the Sight group.' "'Ah, oh, so you split them by human preference. Interesting.' Deterrence, actually, Parieta stated proudly. Deterrence? Yes, they've sorted themselves based off of which sensation their human is most averse to. Occipita gazed at her daughter in wonderment. And what do you intend to have them do in these groupings? Experience it for themselves, she said, as she turned to lift the lid of a large plastic tote behind her, revealing a collection of glossy black helmets. Experience it so that they can understand how to calm their responses. Wonderful Occipita removed a helmet from the box, examining it delightedly. Well, well, my clever Parieta. This is much better than where I've just come from. Thalamus sure is wound tightly, isn't he? His group was bored to tears. Parieta smirked. Good, I hate him. I can't say I'm fond of him either. Occipita and Parieta laughed together. Okay, Mom, you can take this set of helmets over onto the grass with the sight group and get them started. All they need to do is put the helmets on. I've coated that box to generate unpleasant sights. Their job is to calm themselves. I will get the rest of the group started. Parieta dealt out a box of helmets to each group, giving them each the same instructions. This helmet has the ability to generate the human experience when worn. I've set each box of helmets to produce whichever sensations your human has the most difficulty coping with. The helmet is also coated with a Zen meter. The calmer you become, the higher the meter rises. Fill it all the way up, and you've won the game, so to speak. The great thing about these helmets is that you can conjure any resource you can think of to calm yourself. But be advised, if you choose unhealthy ways of coping, the meter decreases. Some members of the group were apprehensive, but most were excited by the idea of the fancy technology and game-like interface. The helmets were equipped with mirroring technology, meaning that whatever was happening inside the helmet, Parieta and Occipita were able to see via a holographic projection emanating from the top of the helmet. Think through it. Check in with your body. What does it need? Occipita's soothing voice was directed at a man who had become anxious over a house full of clutter and was now descending into anger. Breathe, Occipita directed. The man listened, inhaling and exhaling deeply. On the hologram, he made his way to a door. Opening it showed a neatly organized closet. He shut himself inside of the closet, laid on his back, and closed his eyes. His Zen meter increased. And the challenge shifted to an image of a sink full of dirty dishes which were extended onto the countertop. Parida made her way over to the sound-hating group. One of the mom brains, Sarah, stood near the fountain, sobbing. Her helmet jiggled as she heaved and trembled. Looking to the hologram, Parida observed an infant who was continually crying at a high pitch. The helmet had a funny way of bending or stretching time. Even though this activity had only been occurring for a few minutes, Sarah had experienced it as a few hours. Hours of shrill cries, and it looked as though all of her efforts to soothe the child had failed. Sarah, Parieta said calmly, but it still received a flinch. You can't stop or control the crying. What can you do? I I don't know, I don't know, she replied shakily. Pryda checked her Zen meter. It was empty. Could you ask someone to help reprieve you for a moment? The father, maybe? <sighs> He's deployed. I'm, I'm on my own. Okay, someone else then. Family? Friends? It's the middle of the night. Alright, well, if help isn't an option, let's find another way. What is distressing you the most at this moment? The sound, the constant sound, knowing that sound means my baby is upset and being helpless to do anything about it. I just want it to stop. Pariah observed the hologram above her head. I see a thermometer. You must have checked her temperature. It's normal, I'm assuming. Yes. I see a bottle, which means she's been fed and you've burped her. Yes. I see a diaper, so I know she's been changed. Sarah, your baby's okay. She isn't sick or hurt or in need of anything, but comfort and some sleep. Can you think of a way that you can soothe her while also relieving yourself of the noise? She won't take a pacifier. I don't mean stop her from crying. I just mean make it so you can't hear it. According to the hologram, Sarah wandered out of the nursery still holding the inconsolable baby girl. In a different room, she shifted the baby into one hand and rummaged through a dresser drawer with the other. From the drawer she lifted a pair of headphones, which she set on top of the dresser. She then retrieved her cell phone from the nightstand. When she returned to the dresser, she set the phone next to the headphones, and with her free hand began pairing the two devices via Bluetooth. With a sigh of relief, she slid the headphones over her head and relaxing music flooded her ear canals, deafening the hair-raising cries. When she returned to the nursery, she stood in front of the crib, held the baby close to her chest, and began gingerly rocking and bouncing her to the beat of the music. Baraita smiled as she watched Sarah's zen meter slowly climb before moving on to the smell group. By the looks of it, Broca was not doing well. He sat rigidly on an ornate floral couch which was covered in plastic, presumably to deter animal hair as the house was crawling with cats, dogs, and a large colorful bird who sat in a cage next to the couch. Although Parita could not smell the aroma of the room, she could imagine it. Across from Broca in a chair sat an elderly woman who was spinning a story of her far off childhood. Broca, it's Parieta. How are you feeling? Incredibly uncomfortable, he whispered in a nasally voice. He was mouth breathing. You don't need to whisper. She can only hear you when you're addressing her. If you speak to me, she'll be unaware. Barina, I swear I can taste this smell. I might lose my lunch. Broca, don't be a doormat. You aren't a prisoner inside her house. I don't want to be rude. She's so sweet. It's not rude to say you have enjoyed your visit, but you need to leave. I don't want to leave her. She's lonely." Well, then, you need a workaround. How can you get out of that house without abandoning her?" Edie, Broca said to the old woman, it's such a nice day, and I could use some fresh air. Would you mind moving this conversation into the yard? Edie obliged. Roka helped her from the chair, and the duo walked into the front porch with linked arms. In the touch averse group, Suri sat cross-legged but slumped over on a stone walkway leading into the hotel, whimpering. Her hologram showed her on the floor of a closet, wearing nothing but an oversized t-shirt with a bowl of Halloween candy resting in her lap. Candy bar wrappers littered the floor around her surrey i know the candy bars feel good for a second but you're never going to move your zen meter that way one or two snickers would have been within moderation but this is a full-blown comfort eating session i know surrey mumbled indignantly through a chewy bite parieta monitored the hologram with two hands on her hips she was puzzled what's triggering this i thought your human disliked touch I don't see anything you're touching besides the carpet you're sitting on, in which case that's a simple fix. Just stand up. Nothing is touching me yet. It's the thought of all the soon-to-be uncomfortableness that's overwhelming me. Pariah remembered Surrey's comment from earlier. Just because it's fall doesn't mean you have to wear a scratchy sweater. It's not that. It's all the clothes. What do you mean? They're all scratchy? No, but they're all uncomfortable. How so? Nothing fits me right. The feeling of it on me all day long. She imitates a retching motion. Even the stuff that does fit okay, it's just not comfortable. And don't even get me started on bras. Is what you're wearing now comfortable? Yeah. So wear that today. Stay home. Read a book, clean your house. No pants, no bra, no problems. Then maybe tomorrow, after a rest, it won't be so hard to get dressed. Have to work today. Oh. Pariah looked around. Most of the brains had passed through all of their challenges and filled their Zen meter. They were removing their helmets, giving each other high fives and lounging about the courtyard. But here sat Suri Brum, rooted to the spot over the thought of wearing clothes. Parieta blew a raspberry. <sniffs> Mom, she called across the courtyard, I think I need you to tap in on this one. A shoeless occipita flitted over from the grass where she had been talking animatedly to another brain. What's the matter? She has to go to work, but she doesn't want to get dressed or wear a bra today. So instead she's sitting on her floor inhaling candy bars. Rieta huh? You should know exactly how to handle this one," Occipit amused. Remember when your little human was first going through puberty and was in absolute denial about it? Yeah, Parida said with a reminiscent chuckle. She never wanted to wear a bra either. Do you remember how she solved that problem? She just didn't wear one. Exactly. My human almost never wears one, and she is at peace most of the time. Parieta shook her head in disbelief over the advice she was about to lay on Surrey Brum. My hippie mother says not to wear a bra to work today. What? That's terrible advice. I would be even more uncomfortable that way than with one on. Parieta shrugged at her mother, who decided to take measures into her own hands. Hello, dear. This is Occipita, Parieta's mother, and Dr. Loeb's wife. I need you to look in your closet for two items. First, a bra without any underwire, like a sports bra or a bralette. Next, a breathable, flowy dress. Parieta pressed a button on Surrey's helmet, which turned off the holographic image to give her privacy while changing. That's not so bad, Surrey admitted a few moments later. Parieta and Occipita exchanged high fives. Day 3 Bye Parieta, thank you so much. Parieta stood in the brightly lit lobby of the hotel, watching as conference attendees caught cabs, loaded suitcases into trunks, or stepped into the hotel's airport shuttle. I can see you've captured the hearts of your mentees. Her father joined her near the window. Am I right in assuming they've captured yours as well? Yeah, Parida said softly. Your mother told me about your method yesterday. I would have never thought to use the virtual humanification helmets that way. It was quite ingenious of you. Groundbreaking for your group members, I'm sure. So does this mean I still have a job? Parieta beamed wildly. Absolutely. Parida looked over her shoulder to find Thalamus sulking in a corner of the breakfast area, staring back at her forlornly. What a poor loser, she thought. Then she stuck her tongue out at him. Before I start this next section, I want to make it clear that everything I'm about to say is my own personal opinion and based off of my own experiences. I am not a doctor, I am not a psychologist or a therapist, and I'm not claiming to be, but if what I'm going to say resonates with you or helps you out in some way, then that's great. I'm gonna get real personal for a minute and give you all the details about my own mental health struggles. So I went through postpartum depression after I had my son, but I also have anxiety that oftentimes feeds into anger problems, and that's something that I've always struggled with. But it's not something that I really was able to put a label on until I was an adult. When I was younger, I was incredibly ignorant about anything dealing with my brain and how it works, uh, how other people's brains work, and I don't even think that I knew that mental health existed and I definitely was one of those people who thought that you could just be happy and be positive and everything would be great. And I thought that people who claim to be depressed or have any type of mental illness just weren't trying hard enough and they were just being negative and lazy and ungrateful. If I could go back to my former self, I'm pretty sure I would punch her right in the face (laughs) for a lot of reasons, but this is one of them. (laughs) But what that ignorance and eventual enlightenment led to was a strong understanding of the need to teach kids about their brains, how they function, how they can learn and grow, and how to tackle big emotions in healthy ways, you guys. And I'm talking to myself when I say this too. We've got to stop telling kids to not have emotions. Telling them to not be sad isn't magically making them not sad. It's just making them repress their feelings and teaching them to hide them from you for their whole lives. And that's going to just go into every relationship that they ever have. You can't control a person. They are going to feel whatever they are going to feel. All you can do for your kids is teach them healthy ways to manage what they're feeling. So as I got older and became an adult and went to college, I took a lot of different psychology classes and some family relation classes. I quickly came to the realization, oh, I have anxiety. that's why I do this and this and this, and that's why I'm so quick to anger, and this is why I have a difficult time interacting with others a lot of the time. Being able to put a label on it was so huge for me because now I had something to work with. I wasn't just over-emotional. I wasn't just socially awkward. There was a reason behind all of the things that I struggled with, and now I could do something about it. So from then on, I became very interested in the brain and psychology and emotions and just all the stuff that makes humans tick. At one point, I was seriously considering becoming a therapist, but then I gravitated towards teaching as an avenue to help others with their brains because I love kids and I wanted a job working with kids and... I wanted a career that still allowed me to be a fairly involved mother in my own children's lives, which teaching does that for me. So let me tell you a little bit about my anxiety and things I've done to cope with it. I feel like a lot of these things can help with your mental health in general. So even if you aren't personally anxiety ridden like I am, these things could still help you. One thing that I always leaned into when I was younger was giving myself a pass on learning how to do new things or trying new things that caused me a great deal of anxiety. I would just say, I can't do that, to a lot of things that normal everyday people do all the time. But because those things spiked my anxiety, I refused to even try them. And for a long time, I just thought that that was normal. I don't know at what point my view shifted. I think it probably had to do with my very strong drive to be independent, but I I eventually got to a point where I realized that there was no way I was ever going to have the life that I wanted or have the things that I wanted if I didn't just start forcing myself to do things. So that's what I started doing. Anything I was terrified of, I just powered through it and did it anyway, sometimes with a lot of tears, (laughs) and sometimes I would completely mess up whatever it was that I was trying to do, but then I would just keep doing it again and again and again until it didn't feel so scary anymore and I wasn't screwing everything up. I still apply that same principle to most things and when I say this I'm talking about things that I am irrationally afraid of not things that are actually dangerous or stupid but forcing myself to push past my anxiety and just do things had has led to literally everything that I have in my life and every great thing I have ever experienced so my advice is don't cuddle into your fear kick it in the junk and push past it over and over and over until it's sterile (laughs) that was a really weird analogy but i i feel like it works (laughs) if you listen to the episode vanity unfair part one or part two i'm not really sure which one uh you know that i believe that health encompasses two things physical and mental I personally believe in order to be truly healthy, you have to be keeping both sides in check. I also think that they go hand in hand. Anytime my mental health starts to decline, my physical health goes with it. And if my physical health goes first, then my mental health goes next. But on the flip side, if I start taking care of my body better, my mind feels better. And if I start taking care of my mind, I have the motivation and energy to take care of my body. Here's my advice for how to take care of your body when your brain feels like a mushy turd. (laughs) Number one, don't forget about water. This one is hard for me a lot of the time. I just like go through the whole day and forget to drink water. And then I'm like, no, no wonder I feel so terrible. (laughs) Um, But if you feel like you're about to cry or like lose your mind or something, just take a break and go drink a glass of water. (laughs) Number two move your body somehow. You do not have to be an Olympic athlete, okay? You do not have to keep up with that super fit woman that you see running past your house all the time. Good for her. We're happy for her. We don't have to be her. All you need to do is find some way to move your body during the day. Please don't waste your time on exercises that you found on Pinterest that you absolutely hate and dread doing and don't enjoy at all. Find something you like. Find something that actually releases some stress for you. You are not in a competition with anybody. The point is finding what makes you feel good. What I used to do is walk. I walked all over the place all the time. I would put on my headphones, play some relaxing music, and just walk and look at the trees and look at people's houses and smell the air. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but it was good great. Eventually I kind of graduated from that though to running and now I really enjoy running which I used to hate but I hated it when I would put all this pressure on myself of what I thought a runner was supposed to be and when I let all that go I figured out that it actually felt great so now I just put my headphones on and I blast some EDM music (laughs) and I run really really fast for like a mile and then I feel like I'm in some type of video game or like movie or something (laughs) and it releases so much tension for me and makes me feel good. Number three, eat something fresh. Eat an apple, make some homemade salsa, slice up a cucumber, dip some broccoli in ranch, make a smoothie, eat something fresh and you'll feel refreshed. Another thing that I like to do to keep my anxiety in check, but I think this will work for anyone who has a stressful job or a stressful lifestyle, I take magnesium supplements. They help to calm you and they really do work. I mean, they're not some magic pill that solves all your problems, but I definitely do feel calmer when I take them. I've taken them in pill form. Now I have a drink mix that I use. There's lots of options out there. You just need to look for magnesium supplements. This one isn't gonna be a shocker to you guys because you know about my obsession with taking baths, but if you want a truly relaxing, stress relieving, mental health reviving bath, here's how to do it. Lights off, use a candle or some type of dim light if you don't want it to be pitch black. Use Epsom salt in your bath. I personally like the brand Dr. Teals. And just sit in the warm water, let it just like feel like a big, nice, warm hug. And try to turn your brain off as much of as much as possible. And just breathe. And if you can't turn your brain off, I read a lot of the time because it keeps me from thinking about other things. And I also write. So if there's there's something that you like to do that distracts you that you could do from the bath, that's a good idea. But the point is you just sit in the warm water, in the dark, and you just try to forget about everything that is stressful or bothering you. (laughs) I also think in order to keep yourself mentally healthy, you need to be taking care of the relationships with those people in your life that you are most close with. Your spouse, if you're married, your kids, if you have them, your close friends, your parents, whoever it is that you're close with. Something that has really helped me understand my relationships and the way I behave in relationships is learning about attachment theory, which will basically tell you how you attach to other people. Your attachment style was formed based off of how your parents took care of you and reacted to you as a child. There's a lot of different attachment theory information out there. I've read books on my own attachment style and my husband's. Um, but I'll just tell you really quickly the types of attachment styles there are secure which is the one you want to be working towards anxious and avoidant I've also seen some things that say disorganized which i think maybe is a combination of anxious and avoidant but the three main ones I always see information about is secure anxious and avoidant I'm not going to go into detail about what each of these styles are. But if you want to take a quiz to find out which one you fall under, you can take one for free at coupleslearn.com. Obviously, from the name, you can tell that it is a website for couples. But for all my single ladies, and maybe the one dude that's listening, go and take the quiz. It's very informative, and it applies to all relationships, not just romantic ones. And if you ever plan on being in a romantic one in the future, and you already know your attachment style going into it, that is really, really going to help you. One of the best books I've ever read in my entire life is Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck, which I mentioned in my interview with Jen on this episode. I think everyone should read it. It's an easy read and it's life-changing. You will feel so much better. You'll get unstuck from whatever rut it is that you're in or whatever mental block you're having. Do yourself a favor and order it on Amazon. I think it's like 8 bucks for a paperback. I also ended up with two copies of it. So if you live near me, I am more than willing to let you borrow one. Just send me a DM. I'm going to end by saying that probably the best advice I could give anyone as far as their mental health goes is to go see a counselor. It is good for every single person on the planet, no matter their situation. You aren't too good for counseling, okay? Even if you feel like you've got your whole life together, it would still benefit you and those around you. I know there's a stigma around it, but there shouldn't be. If everyone in the whole world went to therapy, the world would be a better place. Also, I'm just throwing this out there because I live in a rural area, and I know sometimes it can feel weird to go spill your guts to someone you're going to see at the grocery store or at your kid's t-ball game, and it's also hard to find people who may specialize in exactly what you need. A lot of therapists are now doing remote appointments through Google Meet or Zoom and things like that. All you need to do is find a therapist in your state and contact their office to see if they can schedule remote appointments. Boom! Therapy from your couch. Interview with author Jenny Mouse. All right, I'm here with Jenny Mouse, the author of a children's book titled Brian the Brain Headspace. Hi Jenny. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think that we have some things kind of in common because you teach preschool, right?
1: Um I do, though I don't teach it in such a traditional way. I actually teach online. So Oh really? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I, I teach kindergarten. Um, just, oh, amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a public school teacher, so I teach in person. But, I mean, last year I did get some experience teaching online because of COVID, so there's that. <laughs> um, and also, we're we're both moms. I have a three-year-old. And I know you have at least one child. Do you have more than one?
1: I have two. My oldest is almost four. And then my youngest is uh, about 20 months, so coming up
0: on two. Awesome. So we have that in common, too. And you are a published author, and I aspire to be a published author. So I feel like we just have a lot of of things in common, which I think is cool.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to ask you a few questions. The first one is, what was your inspiration for writing your book, Brian, the brain, headspace.
1: Um, so I, when I was um, a kid growing up, I kind of had trouble focusing in school and these kind of challenges that um, that I came up across. And uh, kind of ironically enough, one of them was handwriting. <laughs> um, but when I went to university, I started taking psychology classes and that kind of um, just changed the way I was approaching learning. And I was able to, uh, just improve how I was, I was learning. Um, and at the time I was going to school to be an elementary teacher. Um, and kind of went, these two things should go together. Like we should be teaching this to kids in school. Imagine if they, imagine if I had learned this when I was, you know, 10 or five or maybe even three. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was kind of the, the idea behind it. That was quite a while ago. <laughs> um, so I, it, I didn't do much with that for a long time. Um, but I actually managed to uh, start teaching about psychology online um, through a platform called Outschool.
0: school. Mm-hmm, I've um, heard of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Um, and uh, that kind of pushed me to, to like, start doing some of these things that I'd always wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and then I got the idea for the book cause so I always wanted to write one. Um, but I, you know, I just kind of hung out and watched other people write for a long time. Um, and, uh, and then the pandemic happened. So that kind of made it feel more like it was urgent, I guess, like this uh-huh. is something that needs to be out there. Um, because we like, right now, I guess mental health is just highlighted so much more mm-hmm. at the moment. So, um, that kind of gave me the push to actually get it done.
0: Which I think is kind of a silver lining of the pandemic is that mental health is so such a focus right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really drawing a, a spotlight to it.
0: Um, You mentioned that you went to school to become an elementary school teacher. So have you always taught online or have you taught in person also?
1: Um, so I, I started off the, to become an elementary school teacher, but my, my education journey, I take very interesting paths through life. <laughs> so education was no exception. Um, I, I, uh, started off studying to be an elementary school teacher. I actually switched programs, switched schools and programs, and I switched to a child and youth program because okay. I wasn't sure if teaching was the right path for me. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of went back to teaching because I uh, I actually moved to China for a little while and did oh, cool. a ESL um, yeah. teaching position. There. I
0: have friends who have done that. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And that kind of pushed me to come back and uh, become a preschool teacher. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school for a bit, um, became certified as a preschool teacher in my province, um, and then never actually worked in a preschool once I got certified. So I did work in a preschool <laughs> Be, yes, as an assistant for quite a few years, mm-hmm. um, but not as the main lead teacher. Um, and, uh, and then I found online learning or teaching, and I've been teaching online since then. So, uh, yes, I guess I've taught in the school, but not as not, the lead teacher.
0: Not as, as the main teacher. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, I, so I'm so i going to kind of relate to what you told me. So, I also, I am a teacher, so obviously I I went to college. I went through... An elementary education program. Um, and that's where I learned about growth mindset also and more about my brain and more about psychology and the psychology of education. And um, I read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck for the yes, first time. So good. Yes, so good. For the first time when I was in the elementary ed program. And it it changed my life. Like I, I have a completely different perspective on things now since then and it was years ago um and I recommend it to every person I talk to (laughs) and I own multiple copies of this so to my listeners I own multiple copies of this book and if you live near me I will loan it out to you if you want it (laughs) um but anyways can you I know that your book deals with growth mindset can you tell me a bit about what growth mindset means to you how you use it in your own life as a mother and as a teacher and just as a person. Uh,
1: yeah, awesome. Um, so growth mindset was actually a term I came upon relatively recently, surprisingly. Um, and it's something that like, I knew about and I'd heard about and I always went, oh, I have a growth mindset. But I hadn't really delved really deeply into it. And so I actually started writing this book because I, the, the inspiration was brain plasticity. Um, and that's what i i kind of just assumed growth mindset was basically brain plasticity um, as a as a concept i guess um, and and just for anyone that doesn't know what brain plasticity is it's it's the brain's ability to change and and learn um, and that so so i was basically on brain plasticity and then I kind of came across the term growth mindset and kind of revisited that and then delve deeper into what it meant. Um, and kind of had this whole, um, cause I, again, I kind of was like, Oh, I have a growth mindset going into it. But then after reading some books and stuff and reading mindset, I kind of identified my own fixed mindset, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And that actually helped me get, write the book a lot. Um, because I could really apply a lot of those, like I could identify my fixed mindset and let that, it, it let me, um, grow more, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and overcome some things that were really challenging. So, um, and writing the book, having a growth mindset has absolutely helped me get it published. Um, and then, and then I think your question was about, uh, family, right? Yes. As like, a mother. My, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting a little <laughs> off topic. It's okay. Yeah, so with my kids, I, my, uh, my three-year-old likes to, likes the word. I can't like a lot of uh, three-year-olds probably do mm-hmm. and so I, I encourage him to say yet um and sometimes he just gets in a mood where he's like i don't want to say yet
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: and um and i think that's okay because it means he's understanding it um so j- just encouraging that i try my best to use language that um focuses on the skills and the effort that he's used um that's what a big growth mindset um, concept is to instead of just saying good job, um, you're great at this. You say, oh wow, like you have drawn a circle and you've drawn dots in it, and it looks like a face, right? Um, so you describe what they've done and and that they've worked really hard and stuff like that. So I try and do that as much as possible. Though mm-hmm. so, um, sometimes I still say good job because I'm yeah, a
0: human. <laughs> yeah, same. Here. I try to add a little bit of description <laughs>
1: after, um, and. Uh, and then books about growth and social emotional learning, like I, I follow a lot of authors that write on those topics mm-hmm. and buy a lot of their books and we have a nice collection. So trying to kind of add that in as well um, makes a big difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to speak to my listeners for a moment. For those of you who don't know what a growth mindset is and you're wondering what it is that we're even talking about. I'm going to try to quickly explain what it is, but I'm doing this impromptu, so I might get some of it wrong. And Jenny, you can help me if I'm if I'm saying things wrong. So with a growth mindset, you can think of your brain like a muscle. It's able to grow. It's able to change. And if you make a mistake, it is a good thing because you can learn from it and you can grow and move on. But people who have a fixed mindset don't have that viewpoint and mistakes are a huge deal to them and they don't really believe that they that their brain can grow and change. They kind of just think that how it, how their brain is is how their brain is, and they're able to do the things they're able to do, and they're not able to do things that they're not able to do. Do you have any thoughts to add to that, Jenny?
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation. Um, I think the only thing I'd add is that it is like a subconscious thing. It's not like you're, you know, like you could even be like, oh, I know that people can change, but then you're, when you're, you know, focusing on something like that you're not great at. Like I'm, I always thought, oh, I'm not good at math and I can't do math. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. You still have that kind of attitude even Same. though it, you might, you know, consciously know.
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree.
1: Well, and that's one
0: of the things that I think is so great about learning about growth mindset um, and reading the book Mindset by Carol Dweck is once you start getting into that metacognition, that thought thinking about your thinking, then you're more able to change those fixed mindset tendencies that you have over to more of a growth mindset. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for being willing to speak with me today. This has been a great interview. You're very knowledgeable, and I had a great time speaking with you.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been Um, really,
0: really fun. Before I end the episode, I just wanted to remind you to please go and leave me a written review on Apple podcasts. This helps other people find and listen to the podcast. So it helps me out. And if we hit 20 written reviews, I'll do another bonus episode where I read my childhood journal entries. (laughs) Thanks for listening take care of your brains. I love you all. Bye.